price drop? Time to shop. Get to a Nordstrom Rack store today for first dibs on new markdowns. Now score even more, up to 70% off brands everyone loves at Nordstrom Rack. Denim, dresses, sneakers, tops, and more. Plus, get genius deals on jackets, sweaters, and boots for the whole family. Shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and save up to 70% with new markdowns. But hurry, deals this great won't last. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Everybody, it's your bruiser, living doll man, serial killer with the voodoo curse, Holden McNeely. <laughs> Hi, and it's, <laughs> and it's me, your sexy mommy baby voice, but also I'm going to kill you, but also my poor baby, oh no, but also I'm a femme fatale, but also I'm a widow baby woman, Jennifer Tilly. Bruiser, Jake. <laughs> yeah, you're a wizard this week, but it's fine. I'm you a wizard. I'm Jennifer Tilly. Look oh. <laughs> at my rockin' cleavage, laugh at my excellent line delivery, and just think about how I've just dominated every movie I've ever been in since the 80s. Yes, I love Jennifer Tilly, and I'm so happy. I was hoping you were going to do a Jennifer Tilly accent and that I was going to force you into that uh, by taking on the Brad Dorf uh, uh, dialect, and uh, you killed it. The secret to doing a Brad Dorf accent is to do a Billy West and just be just slightly more angry. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it is. It has been such a fun one. Of course, we're talking Child's Play this week. We're talking the Chucky series. This is the uh, let's start with the synopsis before we get into it. An American horror franchise that comprises eight slasher films created by Don Mancini that focus on Chucky, a notorious serial killer who frequently escapes death by performing a voodoo ritual to transfer his soul into a good guy's doll. The original film came out in November of 1988 and led to six sequels as well as a remake. And Jake, I have 30 to years. Say, We're talking over like, or at this point, dear God, 1988, that's mm-hmm. 98, 2008. Tw- like, yeah, we're coming up on over, yeah, 30 years of fucking continuity about the most like just weirdest yet compelling concept for a horror antihero. Yeah, it is such, it is such like a, a, but, but there's always been the haunted doll trope in so much of horror. Even now, I mean, you have Annabelle uh, almost Mm -hmm. trying to take its place in modern days, but, but so that's always been a thing. But what's cool about this franchise that I didn't realize was that Don Mancini and the producer, David Kirshner stuck with this franchise through all of this time, up until except for the remake, which they're pissed about. They do not give the remake their blessing. We will talk about that when we get there. We are going to go through every single one of these movies. But also, I think it's a mixture of that, which I feel like we touched on a lot in the Saga episode. How how important it is to have the same creator behind the property to create this 
cohesiveness through the whole thing, but also you can track the history of horror films from the late 80s up till now through this series, through this entire franchise, bizarrely enough, because they were also very good at recognizing what was happening around them in horror whenever there would be these big popularity spikes in the genre and essentially creating their version of it and putting it out there. There's so many different versions of Chucky. It's never just the same thing. I feel like Halloween and certain franchises like that, it's it's always going to be the same entry point of genre and and just just taking it in different ways and doing different kills with chucky though it's it's a honestly the first one's so easy to break it down because you got the first one which came off the heels of gremlins and the uh you know little puppety killer things uh puppet master came out like Mm -hmm. all these different kind of uh small animatronic uh based monster kind of creatures but also the first one is more like an action thriller horror. There's these big explosions, these big like 80s action set pieces. It's closer to like a Jurassic Park or a Jaws mm-hmm. than an outright horror movie. Yes. Second one, though, straight up a slasher film. Straight up a slasher. I I'd agree. Third one, a really fucking terrible version of a slasher film and hitting the wall. Fourth one, Bride of Chucky, com- a comedy, a comedy horror. Because up. what happened in 1998, <laughs> what happened in 1998, Scream, and all of a sudden, self-aware kind of meta humor within horror was came roaring back and revitalized the genre. And we had like hot young teens. We had a, a I forgot, a, a young Katherine Heigl is in this. Yes. Um, very strange. Scream queening it up. Uh, and then, you know, as things got a little more ridiculous, uh, it kind of faded to the background again. Well, see, so Seed of Chucky, which I'm excited to get more deeply into, but Seed of Chucky is even more of a comedy, barely a horror film. And more dealing, scary movie three than a, <laughs> than a screen. Yeah, we, including like Red Man is the, one of the main characters, along with <laughs> Jennifer Tilly, who is playing both herself and is the voice of the Tiffany doll at the same time because she's in a movie about like it's it's so meta. It's like meta meta. Mm-hmm. It's like three layers of meta. And it is also weirdly just about dealing with gender dysmorphia and this gender identity and all this kind of stuff with this bizarre British puppet who is either going to be Glenn or Glinda, depending, and uh, heavily based on the Ed Wood film of the same name. It is so weird and so completely far into the dire- into the direction of like not just comedy, but absurdity and just total bizarreness. And then, yeah, and then it goes away again. And then as soon as those... That next resurgence, which I guess would be marked with like Saw and things of that nature. They all have that gloomy, gothic, gringy look. And yeah, and that is, you know, where we have Curse and uh, Cult of Chucky, which are... even the uh, remake was a heavily delayed and kind of uh, beleaguered production that was born from the fucking... Uh, reboot craze that horror yeah. had with the, you know, yes. uh, Jackie Earl Haley as uh, Freddy Krueger and Rob Zombie's Halloween and like Evil all the- Dead yeah. uh, had a, that, their big, dark, gritty, like up to date remake. And also dealing, I mean, this one too largely deals in modern technology. It's like Alexa, essentially, this, this weird new iteration, Chucky. I have very mixed feelings about the newest version but either way what a wild ride this franchise has been i i am 
shocked that I haven't had more dreams about Chucky. I bet I will tonight. I have been shotgun blasting. I have seen every single one, every single movie in the franchise over the past four days, except for Colt, which I'll probably watch. We'll get into it when we end up talking about it. But Colt was so fucking good. Um, Yeah, I know. I'm I'm, I'm bummed that that was the one I had to miss, but I was too curious about the remake uh, and... I, I felt like it was more important to see that in preparation for this episode. But either way, we're going to go through all of these things in the whole history of this franchise. Like the Gremlins episode, I have to very, uh, you know, humbly admit that Chucky scared the shit out of me <laughs> as a kid. To, uh, a lot of like weird half out of context scenes when it was rerun on the U.S., you know, Child's Play 1, 2 and 3 on the USA Network uh, growing mm-hmm. up when I was a kid. Uh, walking past the boxes in the horror aisle at uh, Blockbuster Video. And specifically, just like in the Gremlins episode, it's specifically, there is something primordial about Chucky where if you are a kid, it is way scarier to be killed by something your size than to just get snuffed out by an adult serial killer or like a larger than life monster. It's it feels more visceral, like you're going to have to put up a fight and it's going to be slow and shitty the whole way down. I feel like also, especially since I've been home alone a lot over the past few weeks, I think that there's something to be said about those little noises that you hear that that are in the corner of the room or something like that. And this this gives you something to imagine is making those other than just like a completely invisible ghost. You know mm. what I mean? Like it gives you this thing in your head of like, oh, what if it's this tiny little thing that's like manipulating all these things and it's always in the corner of my eye, but every time I turn, it's like just out of sight, you know? Definitely speaks towards that fear. There's also, uh, it, it in Child's, in the original Child's Play movies, uh, when it's like uh, Andy, the little kid is the protagonist. Andy! The idea that, this malignant force is just blatantly fucking with you and like hurting people around you and you're getting the blame for it and nobody believes you. It's such a primordial childhood fucking trauma anxiety. Right, right. Again, when I was a kid, that it just felt all those scenes with Andy just like being an actual six-year-old unable to articulate like, no, Chucky did it. Chucky did it. And like people being like, all right, time to fucking electroshock you, you sick fuck. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, but in reality, if, if someone was like, my doll killed that man, you'd be like, sure, the doll killed that man. And then you, of course, lock the boy away. I would say for me, I don't even know why I never really came to the franchise and went through it. I definitely watched the first Child's Play. I couldn't tell you when. I definitely saw it some point in the past. Like every first edition of a major horror movie franchise, I feel like I you're always thrown off and I'm like, oh, weird. This is like a blueprint for what this franchise would become in a lot of ways. Very rarely do you see kind of like Friday the 13th has that vibe a little bit to it. And certain certain ones of those. Uh, that's how Child's Play, the first one, felt to me, where you're like, oh, weird. There's like not as many kills as I thought would be. And, you know, the, the, the kills are not what I thought they would be either, right? Uh, mm-hmm. But it does have a lot of those mainstays. And the fantastic uh, voice acting, of course, um, of uh, what's his stupid face? <laughs> but how can you? How can you? Uh, forget? Brad Dorif. I always forget Brad Dorif's name. I don't know why. I'm just shitty with names. Always remember Jennifer Tilly's though. God, I love her. <laughs> she she really reinvigorates the whole thing. Well, I, okay. Shall we, Jake? I think I think it's time to to jump into this. Hey, 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 Holden. Wanna play? Yes. 
I would like to play. Okay, let's play. <laughs> All right, so let's get into initially the where the script came from. It came from this man, this dude, this guy named Don Mancini, who started out as an English major at Columbia University, but transferred after two years to UCLA to become a filmmaker. A teacher was impressed with his first screenplay, which was called Split Screen, about a small town overtaken by a horror production, and urged him to continue on the path of horror. For his next foray into the horror genre, though, he saw the craze around Cabbage Patch Kids. So, essentially, Cabbage Patch Kids, like, maybe you're more familiar with Tickle Me Elmo, with the White Power okay, Ranger. Okay, so I had, to, I had to look this up. I had to look this up, and uh, first of all, uh, Don Mancini is a fascinating guy. Um, you know, his dad was like a marketing executive. Uh, he was the middle son of a five child household with two sisters on either side of him. Uh, and he was like this gay film obsessed Italian American kid growing up in the seventies, you know, uh, who just really wanted to make movies. He was obsessed with like Michael Mann films and like classic Hollywood and, you know, the idea that he was born, you know, he wasn't this spooky, ooky guy. He wasn't this macabre gothic character. But yeah, it got to the point where he's writing spec scripts. You know, the goal of every great writer is he wants to be an agent. I think before or after he got to Columbia, he worked on the set of a New York soap opera for mm -hmm. like a year and a half. Mm -hmm. But uh, so just this like, you know, this creative guy, this like, you know, uh, very genial, very charismatic guy. Uh, and yeah, the Cabbage Patch thing. We know Cabbage Patch dolls as like those uh, weird vinyl headed monstrosities. But the original Cabbage Patch craze was actually uh, they were called like the small people. And the they little were people. The little and it people. Was, yeah. With the concept that you don't purchase a doll, you adopt one that came with its own name and birth, birth certificate. And Coleco purchased the product and changed the name in 1982 to Cabbage Patch Kids. And in 1983, it was in such high demand, shoppers are camping overnight at toy stores, mobbing parking lots, fighting over dolls, etc. Like rushes for toys during the holiday season. This was not necessarily new, but the materialism of the 80s mixed with the marketing push and supply demand strategies of that toy company took it to a whole nother level. Like it was the precursor to what we know like I mentioned before, Tickle Me Elmo and those kinds of things and seeing parents actually get into fisticuffs like at, in front of a display, uh, a toy display of fighting over dolls and stuff like that started truly with Cabbage Patch Kids. Originally, they were supposed to be these like they were these handmade, soft sculpted, like even the heads were made from like sewn fabric kind of morphed into these mushy, chubby baby faces. And yeah. like it was kind of a hippie folk art thing with this extra marketing thing where, you know, instead of just the knickknacks and, you know, wind cat or dream catchers and wind chimes, this guy set up shop and was like, welcome to my garden of babies. <laughs> it was very weird. Tons of original collectors now will like go crazy if you can find an original Cabbage Patch Kid with the inventor's name signed on the ass because he would like mm. hand sign each one before handing them off. Mm. Which is, I still don't get, like, they always refer to the Cabbage Patch dolls as, like, the original creator, as the inspiration. But clearly Chucky is way more influenced by, like, the My Buddy dolls. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, you know, sure. My Buddy, My Buddy. Uh, which caused its own weird controversy because Americans were like, boys can't play with dolls. <laughs> boys need gunmen to do gun wars. 
Also, though, going back to his father's occupation, his father growing up was a pharmaceutical company's liaison to ad agencies in New York. And Mancini said, I was very aware from an early age of the cynicism inherent in that world, particularly selling products to children. Madison Avenue refers to children as consumer trainees. And I discovered that as a child, that as a child, I thought I wanted to write a dark satire about how advertising affects children. And that is the initial inspiration for Chucky. So, yeah, he begins workshopping on this script. Uh, he mentions how I'm sh I'm sure you have a quote on this, but he mentions how, uh, you know, the haunted doll was a classic mainstay in stuff like Trilogy of Terror. Yeah, uh, Trilogy of Terror, uh, as well as the talkie Tina episode of The Twilight Zone. But he wanted to create a feature length film. These were always short stories, short little video concepts. And he wanted to make it in the, quote, in the age of animatronics, because as you said, gremlins had come out. Things were really improving. They could really do a lot more with animatronics than they, they could previously. So he knew he could create this doll killer in a much more realized state. Uh, so he starts shopping it around, I guess, is the next step. Well, but the script is very different initially. It is ambiguous throughout the whole thing. In oh, his oh, okay. initial script, whether the killer was Andy or Chucky. So, yes, this is the script that gets sold to David Kirshner, mm -hmm. who after, you know, uh, the 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 screenplay had been shopped around to a couple of different places and nobody really took it. And then, like, it got into the hands of this guy named David Kirshner, who might have been the perfect guy to, like, kind of take this young writer and take this script and kind of usher it into actual uh, into an actual movie because... This guy has the weirdest, the weirdest biography leading up to producing Child's Play. We have definitely talked about David Kirshner before in our Don Bluth episode, correct? I, I mean, we must I don't have. know if we did. So first of all, he gets his start uh, just as an illustrator designing uh, album covers, uh, famously Neil Diamond's The Jazz Singer, as well as uh, doing children's illustrations for The Muppets and Sesame Street tie-in products. And uh, in 1983, he actually gives birth to his own franchise called Rose Petal Place, which is uh, just this girly, girly flowers. Think like Rainbow Bright. Think um, Peppermint Rose. I know, uh, you know, I'm talking all these girly franchises that I never actually got a hold of. I actually had to run Marie down and be like, Babe, have you ever seen this thing before? And she had to be like, yes, I had the books. Yes, I had the videotapes. So <laughs> it was a real popular thing through Parker Brothers. It had animated specials. It had tie-in toys. It was this big thing. Uh, so he had firsthand knowledge of the power of children's marketing and like probably was built to love like this subversion of like this toy trope. And uh, yeah, we I don't know if we talked about him because... He's one of the producers and like the originators of An American Tale, the uh, yes. the Don Bluth animated Steven Spielberg produced um, animated story of the young immigrant mouse Fievel. But here's the thing. I then like went back to Don Bluth research notes and looked up like American Tale resources. And he's only listed as like the concept creator. But all of the things like uh, having the mice live as in a parallel world to the human Jewish immigrant experience uh, that was created by Don Bluth. Uh, the musical numbers were written by someone else. Like all of this extra development work 
was done by other people. So in my head, David Kirshner just like knocked on Steven Spielberg's door one day in 1985 and just was like, mouse Jews, and then backed away. <laughs> yeah, it, it's either way, it creates a connection between him and Steven Spielberg, which is the most important element from the American tale uh, working past that that we're going to have for this episode. Cursor said, I had just done my first film for Steven Spielberg, an American tale, and was in London where I bought a book called The Dollhouse Murders. I read it, got back home, and told my development person that I'd love to do something with dolls. Talkie Tina terrified me as a kid. My sister's dolls did too. They had a nightlight under them, like when you hold a flashlight up to your chin. She was already very, very interested in that. Going back to the script, this script was originally called Blood Buddy. No, no, it was that, originally called Batteries Not Included. I was about to say that. Before that, Batteries Not Included. And but the, obviously, once uh, the Spielberg connection was established, they quickly found out Spielberg was producing a movie called Batteries Not Included. Mm -hmm. And the doll was supposed to bleed if played with roughly and come alive after Andy mixed his own blood with the dolls. Hence the pun, Blood Buddy instead of Blood Brother. And uh, that, and then it would target Andy's enemies once that happened, which kind of happens a little bit in the remake, interestingly enough. Yeah, but, it's, uh, and it's definitely more of a carry or like the omen kind of deal. Where, like, it's not that there's a outside force torturing the kids. It's that uh, by this incredibly weird concept of the idea that, like, no, 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 the good guy dolls definitely have fake toy blood inside them. That's yeah. just that's just a given. Uh, and so because Andy does the blood brother sacrifice, his unconscious desire to hurt people around him uh, while he's asleep, the doll does it. Which sound, does sound a lot more convoluted and overly complicated than even what it is uh, in its final form, which is a voodoo curse and a serial killer. It, it really feels like you have to take a lot of leaps of logic to get to wherever Mancini's trying to get to with this original script. But either way, the script is uh, taken up by David Kirshner and he brings in a guy named John Lafia to rewrite it and make Andy more sympathetic. And the director also makes some edits. Tom Holland, who we'll talk about in just a second. Oh, my Mafia God. Spider-Man? <laughs> Wait, did you just say Spy the uh, Marvel's own Spider-Man? Plucky yes. British actor Tom Holland directed of course. this movie? Yes, he did. As a baby, he directed <laughs> this film. And we'll get to him first. He's, uh, I have a quote from him. Goo goo gaga. I'm a baby, but I can still wield a camera. And I deserve to be treated with respect. Gaga. Also, goo goo gaga. Uh, I think I would have the best perspective on Chucky because I am a myself just a baby. <laughs> goo goo gaga. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but I have a real quote from John Lafayette. Lafayette said, I think the biggest contribution I made was to give the character a backstory so it was a human who somehow became a doll. In my draft, it became Charles Lee Ray. I coined the name Chucky. He also, because Poltergeist was super popular at the time, he wanted to bring the suburbs into the story. And that makes it feel a little closer to home. Mancini said, this was shortly after A Nightmare on Elm Street, which was really important in the development of the slasher genre. Freddy was a villain with a very distinct sense of humor, someone who could taunt victims verbally. I was quite consciously influenced by that with Chucky, the idea of an innocent-looking child's doll that spouted filth. And uh, Mancini also said, it was Tom, I love, this is my favorite quote. <laughs> I love this quote so much. It was Tom or David or John who brought in the voodoo, which I was never thrilled with, and a mythology we got stuck with for six movies. 
<laughs> this is great. So because the, uh, the story of who came up with what is kind of all over the place, different yes. sources will say different things. I, uh, I've heard David Kirshner say he's the one who came up with the name Charles Lee Ray because mm. it's an amalgam of his uh, scariest murderers from his childhood, Charles Manson, Lee Harvey Oswald, and James Earl Ray. Right. The voodoo thing is very funny. Uh, I think it works, uh, so but weird. it just, like, if we fought, because uh, Dambala, the deity that uh, Chucky continuously invokes in all the various chants, and, you know, even the chant itself is this, like, kind of hodgepodge, not, like, fake Creole French of just, like, Dambala, give me your power, I seek your power, beyond death, all this stuff. Dambala is a real... A voodoo god of it's like a giant snake creature the white snake mm. who controls thunder and creates all life on earth and you know they're not it's not a malicious evil entity you know it's it's not like it's not like satan or anything but it's so weird in the first movie how they you know uh even just like you know chucky kills someone with a voodoo doll in the in the first movie and it's just like wait a minute this isn't the story of a killer who takes the form of a doll and tortures an innocent family. This is a story of a magical universe where uh, Haitian voodoo is the one true religion in this world. Like right. what the fuck is going on in Haiti during the, <laughs> yeah, something came up in our study session. Yeah. It's so funny. Like, yeah, they should do a, a side f- film about what's actually happening there. A Chucky side universe where it's just, current day Haiti and just there's thunderstorms and zombies and people filling chalices with blood and demons roaming the earth. I just also love to how you can establish something in the first movie and be so even flippant about it. Like, yeah, yeah, it's a voodoo curse, whatever. And then it's just this lore that you have to constantly deal with and include in every single iteration, or it's not going to be like a true Chucky film. It's just so funny to me, because when you think Chucky, you don't think voodoo, like, at all. I see it, though, with the doll tie-in, maybe even the Trilogy of Terror tie-in. That is definitely a creepy short uh, vignette that is uh, pretty terrifying. I mean, of the spooky magic that does things with dolls, there really isn't any other popular mythological thing to really touch on besides right um i should say i blew past this with my hilarious tom holland rant but the director tom holland is an accomplished uh director uh he uh did the sequel to psycho which many people actually thought was pretty good uh, yeah. I know him best as the writer and director of Fright Night, which is an amazing fucking movie. Fright Night is really what put him over for sure. He uh, he he initially trained at the actor studio under Lee Strasberg, so pretty professional stuff. And it did start out as an actor and then got into screenplay writing. And that's what led him to writing the uh, Universal, hiring him to write the sequel to Hitchcock's Psycho. Uh, but Holland also had similar interests to the uh, producer and the writer. He said, I quoted Trilogy of Terror to everyone. I basically got involved with this movie due to the sequence Prey and how they put a camera on a skateboard for a doll to terrorize Karen Black, shaking it from side to side and looked Terrific, though I will say the segment is actually titled Amelia, but was based on a short story called Prey. And the film adaptation for Trilogy of Terror was written by the same author as the short story about a woman who is terrorized in her own home by a wooden fetish doll in the form of a misshapen aboriginal warrior that contains the actual spirit of a Zuni hunter. So Trilogy of Terror really is the DNA that ties everybody together. Mm. 
but here we go, bringing it, it into the filmed, fully realized form. It started actually with drawings by David Kirshner, which were used by designer Kevin Yeager, who was just 24 years old and already had Nightmare on Elm Street 2 and 3 under his belt as a special effects person. Howard Berger led a team of eight to actually construct and control the doll. Berger said, we made the doll heads to look increasingly more human as the movie goes on. The hairline begins to match Brad Dorif's because, of course, the whole idea is that Chucky, the more he exists in Chucky's body, the more human the body of Chucky becomes. And he's trying to get himself into the body of the human boy so that he's not trapped in this weird, creepy human doll version of himself. And that's always like why he's going after Andy. But I do think that's cool that they subtly, subtly introduce throughout the film a more human looking Chucky until the very end when he's just like straight up looks, you know, almost boyish. It should be noted that uh, initially the voice of Chucky was none other than uh, Arrested Development's yeah. Lucille Bluth, Jessica so Walter, and the mom from Archer. If we, <laughs> so bizarre. Uh, because they were influenced by The Exorcist, where the monster had a spooky woman's voice. Uh, but it just the something happened during production where they just couldn't quite, it just didn't quite fit. So they brought Brad Dorff back to re-record lines. I got a quote, actually, that I didn't write down, but the, the I, basic idea was, which I think is hilarious, was she killed it when it came to the scary meanness of the voice, but she couldn't do the comedy, which I think <laughs> is so funny because now she's known specifically for comedy. So I, I think that's like such a funny thing. It was like, yeah, she just couldn't hit those comedic notes, so we had to bring in Brad Dorff instead. There was actually, there was way more comedy in the initial movie uh, then originally there was supposed to be um, Chris Sarandon, who plays, you know, the cool cop guy uh, who kills uh, Charles Lee Ray in the beginning of the movie. In there, in the on the cutting room floor uh, during the opening sequence where he's chasing him down, he lures out the serial killer by emerging from a dive bar in drag and he gets cornered by the killer. He rips off the dress and like pulls a gun. <laughs> It was also a pain in the ass to just get this doll to work properly because you had to have essentially everybody working in, in, in sync with each other. There was one person controlling the eyes, one the mouth, and one the hands. They also had several different versions of the doll, a neutral version, angry, a screaming version, and one that was hooked up to a Nikita drill motor who, so that when turned on, it would literally just ah, it would just like go crazy and flail all over the place and probably puts, take someone's eye out. Uh, it sounded like a really nightmarish set. If I had to, like, you're working with kids, yes. you're working with puppets, you're working, you're working with, with ass, notable asshole Tom Holland, who apparently was a piece of work that <laughs> everyone made comments of like, great director, not going to comment on who he is as a human being. <laughs> There's no confirmation. Nobody is willing to admit this, but it is heavily implied that uh, producer David Kirshner and Tom Holland uh, got into an actual fist fight on set. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, apparently Holland is a bit of um, a bit of a jerk. Berger said the doll was a pain in the ass. Everything was a hassle. I remember the scene where Chucky was in a mental hospital electrocuting a doctor. It took 27 takes to get him to press a button. Also my favorite kill in the movie, though, so well worth it. Hop, hop, hooray. Nordstrom Rack's got sweet deals on everything Easter, which is Sunday, March 31st. Get to Nordstrom Rack now and save on Kate Spade, New York, Two-Faced, Steve Madden, Calvin Klein, and more from just $30. Score great brands and great prices on Easter looks for everyone. 
plus spring decor, gifts, and all kinds of deliciousness. Rack up the deals today at your Nordstrom Rack Store. What will you find? Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. But yeah, the most notable member of the cast, of course, Brad Dourif. He's so good. I love... Now that I've seen almost all of the movies, and especially seeing like the Mark Hamill version of Chucky in comparison, Brad Dourif, so good in all of these movies. So his voice is so unhinged and so intense. And so, and, and he's both funny and terrifying at the same time. He just nails it. He, uh, of course, plays both Charles Lee Ray and the voice of Chucky. And he's most notable before, uh, before and since that. His first big gig was Billy Bibbit in One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest. Uh, that was actually his film debut. As well as Grima Wormtongue in the Lord of the Rings films. And Doc in the HBO show Deadwood, among others. He's so amazing. I love his work. And I love the stuff that he's a part of. And before that, he was a prolific actor in New York City. And uh, uh, there was actually the the little person that physically played Chucky throughout the film, by the way, was Ed Gale. And he had made his film debut as the titular character in Howard the Duck. Oh, my God. Right. And had met Howard Berger while working on Spaceballs, actually. Uh, But either way, altogether, that's Chucky. But man, I just cannot. uh, It's Brad Dourif and Jennifer Tilly when we get to her in the fourth one just carry this fucking franchise so well. I just, I, and, and that's why when we get to the reboot, we'll get more in depth, but I, it really just did not feel like a true child's play movie without Brad Dorif. It just doesn't for it me. Re, uh, Ed Gale, the little person in the Chucky suit for a lot of the more complicated actions. Uh, it's actually really clever. Those scenes, I was like, wow, I can tell it's a little person, but like it's, these scenes are working really well. Like, I don't know. Why um, it's not taking me out of the movie. And they did two really interesting things. They uh, all of Ed Gale scenes where the special shots where Chucky has to like climb on a bed or like run across a room or do something where, you know, you can't hide the nine guys who are operating animatronics below the floor. They filmed those shots in replica sets that were uh, like upscaled by 30 percent so that the proportions of the doll would remain intact. And they were shot at a lower frame rate than the rest of the movie so that it contained like his movements were just a little bit jerkier to kind of mimic the puppet. So like it was actually mm-hmm. it that actually kind of be robotic. Yeah, for sure. And so he tried to kind of meet halfway between normal movement and total full on 100 percent robot movement. Also, in the client in the final confrontation of the film, they light that poor guy on fire. <laughs> like, that is very true. They certainly do that. Uh, and we'll, we, I, I have some good quotes on that when we get there. But either uh, way, rest of the cast here. The, of course, we have to mention Catherine Hicks as Karen Barkley. The mom from Seventh Heaven. The mom from Seventh Heaven. Uh, very bizarre. You've got Chris Sarandon, who played Detective Mike Norris. You might recognize him as Prince Humperdinck in The Princess Bride. And then uh, Tom Holland uh, clearly pulled him in after previously working with him on Fright Night. He played the vampire Jerry Dandridge. 
Alex Vincent, who will also star in the sequel in later films as the boy, Andy, uh, and he, he's also in Curse of Chucky and Cult of Chucky, playing, uh, playing his same character. He was just five years old when he saw his neighbor on television and decided he wanted to be an actor and went to that neighbor's agent, which led to some commercials until he got the role of Andy, competing with hundreds of kids in NYC and L.A. He got the role when he refused to swear in front of his mother during the audition and played it off so well that he forgot his lines instead uh, of of refusing to read the lines uh, that the producers gave him the role because it's I think just, the line was something along the lines of like Chucky said she was a worthless bitch <laughs> uh, Holland said I was very sensitive to Alex's feelings he was not an actor with experience I hugged him after each take but apparently also uh, Alex had to be uh, taken away by his caretakers during I believe that fist fight that you talked about uh, so he I think he experienced some trauma when Chucky is fucking charred and melted and gross, they were like, we can't have this kid on set with for this. Also, there's a very pivotal scene where Andy breaks down crying and like uh, they were worried about, you know, trying to get that shot. And so like he was working with his acting teacher for like a month before to make sure he could cry on command. And they actually ran out of film halfway through that scene. And supposedly he just kept crying the whole time while they were waiting to set it up again. And we already mentioned it was just a very tense set. It was a pretty rough time, I think, for this first one, especially because David Kirshner just disagreed with a lot of how Holland was approaching it. He wanted to do the Jaws alien style. We're going to hold off on revealing the monster for as long as humanly possible. But Holland wanted to show the monster pretty early on and 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 definitely strayed from Kirshner's views. That led to a lot of butting of heads. Uh, also, the doll was very difficult to manage, so Holland is also screaming at Kevin Yeager a lot, probably very unfairly. Berger said, this was a puppet that was radio-controlled who was in half the movie. It was brand-new territory. I mean, this is just not something that anyone was an expert in at the time. This is some groundbreaking stuff. Supposedly, the animatronic puppeteers, uh, when they were working below the floor, uh, they were using, you know, it's a common technique uh, in everything from the Muppets to uh, the Gremlins, where they had uh, on-screen monitors that they were working on, and the image had been reversed for some reason, so they could never get Chucky facing the right direction or looking at the right thing. Mm, mm -hmm. Also, very important, Kevin Yeager hooked up with Catherine Hicks, the mom, on set, and they were, they've been married uh, since 1990. Mm. Isn't that nice? That is nice. found love in a hopeless place. That is nice. But going back to Ed Gale, he had a miserable time working on these movies. And we'll talk more about it in the future in Child Play, Child's Play 2 and stuff like that. He was pretty heavily disrespected, he felt. But it was also very difficult playing the part. He said, the problem was that I had zero visibility. I'd rehearse and walk through a scene with my eyes closed. It's like taking a drink while blindfolded. You look like an idiot. I was also set on fire. Uh, <laughs> I got he weaned was into very it. Very set on fire. He said, I got weaned into it. They set one arm on fire first, then my chest, then both arms. You wear an oxygen mask. <laughs> the scene was shot in short segments, about 45 seconds each. Gail said, the only close call was when they wanted to drop me into the fireplace. They could see the assistant's shadow, so they wound up hoisting me up further, and I dropped six or eight feet, hurting my back. It put me out of work for a few days. I also got burns on my wrists. Nothing bad. <laughs> that sounds a nightmare what a fucking uh, trooper 
Oh, my God. So the original cut was around two hours. It, quote, tested horribly, according to Kirshner. So they brought Don Mancini back in. He kind of took a step back after his initial script. And he He was a child. There was no way a director like Tom Holland was going to have the writer on set, let alone a like a baby, a baby writer. But he did greatly appreciate the fact that they brought him back in to fix it in post. And he, because they just needed someone with a more objective opinion. They cut about a half an hour out. That original cut was like two hours, which again, and and by the way, in in, uh, researching this episode, I just have to be thankful to the horror genre. Every movie's rightly so an hour and a half. And thank you for that. It's very nice. It's like you're barely watching a movie at that point. And I appreciate that, especially when you have to cram eight of these movies down your throat. Uh, among the stuff that was cut, uh, there's an entire kind of Home Alone-like sequence where Andy like rigs together an RC car with a knife taped to it and uses <laughs> that to like try and fight Chucky. Uh, there's a scene where he tries to like shoot him with Drano out of a water gun, like real ass fucking uh, Home Alone shit. Uh, the amulet of Dumbala, which <laughs> uh, shows up later in Bride of Chucky, as a very pivotal plot point. Uh, is actually present in the original movie. Uh, oh. And it's key to that uh, confrontation with the witch doctor character, Dr. Death. But that's cut out from the movie. Uh, there's a few... Uh, Dr. Death has like a bigger introduction scene. Uh, the scene where Chucky blows up the house to kill his like former accomplice has a lot more things going on to like explain why Andy uh, survived a house explosion. But... Audiences were just like, nah, he was outside. It was fine. Was an acceptable explanation. <laughs> How uh, Chucky kind of gets into the uh, child care facility where Andy's being held has more like moving parts that they just got rid of. You know, it was. Yeah, it's just he's a magic puppet. He got in somehow. It's fine. If that movie was any longer than it is, I just don't think it would be good. It's got to be an hour and a half. It can't be longer. <laughs> Uh, so and and it does and it does gangbusters. The movie premieres. It earns thirty three million dollars. It becomes the second highest grossing horror film of the year, just behind Nightmare of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street four, and becomes obviously launches this whole franchise. But oddly enough, the studio doesn't want it. The Wait, sequel, yeah, it was a hit yeah. movie. I know. studios love making sequels to hit movies. I know. What could possibly arrange for this preposterous development, Jake? I'll tell you this information, but I will preface it with this is a fucking bastard of a, of a factoid. Mm. Um, it's actually not that crazy, but either way, the, this the sequel is immediately ordered with Mancini working on a new script by the Christmas of by Christmas of 1988. And it was done with the project going into production in the summer of 1989. However, at this time, United Artists was sold to another company known for family entertainment. And they it wasn't to- even it wasn't even sold. It was. MGM United Artists was just in the tank. It was just, it was desperate for a buyer. And one of the potential buyers was uh, Christopher Scase's Kintex Corporation, which was a, like, basically, think a slightly less rich man's uh, Rupert Murdoch. Mm -hmm. You know, they were in financial equities, they were in media, they were doing all this stuff. And at the head of it was this, charismatic eccentric uh millionaire guy named christopher scase who like 
had his own crazy ass story, but that fell through. But just the the shadow of Kintex potentially taking over United Artists MGM uh, made the studio head scared because they huh. were more family friendly and didn't want to produce oh my a scary movie. Especially a scary movie about a killer child's toy. I guess that makes sense a little bit. <laughs> like specifically like the opposite of what they do, which is the most scary thing to kids probably of all of the franchises out there in terms of horror because it is uh, d- close to their heart. But either way, Kirshner said, I got a call from the head of the studio, Richard Berger. He said, David, I'm embarrassed to tell you this, but the company buying a UA doesn't want it. They want to be more like Disney. Kirshner was incredibly upset about this. However, this led to a major bidding war between different studios. And going back to the American Tale connection that I mentioned would come up later, it was Steven Spielberg who convinces Kirshner to go with Universal, which would become Chucky's home pretty much for good. And that is when we get to what I would consider to be my personal favorite is probably Seed of Chucky. But I think that Child's Play 2 is probably like the, the best version of or the best technically film I think of the franchise would you agree with that take Jake it's definitely the most primordial it is it definitely establishes what a Chucky movie is yes and then everything that comes after that whether it's Bride of Chucky subverting it or Curse of Chucky Cult of Chucky Uh uh, kind of re-embracing it Yes. So I would say that's true, but um, I wouldn't call it my favorite. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What's your What's your favorite? Is it uh, Colt? I think Cult of Chucky is the one I enjoyed the most on a primordial level. Well, unfortunately, I'll let. So I haven't. The one I haven't seen is Colt. One that Jake hasn't seen is Seed. So I have got news for you, Jake. You have a new favorite Chucky <laughs> right around the corner. All you have to do is put it on. You can rent it on uh, Amazon Prime if you want, or or I'm sure you have other ways of Cult finding of it. Cult of Chucky is free on Netflix. I'm just saying. <laughs> oh, man, dude. Seed of Chucky, bro. It. I can't wait to get, dude. It is so fucking crazy. I, ca- I can't even believe it exists. But going back to Child's Play 2, this time John Lafia, the guy who came in and punched up the script, in the original film, he directs the sequel, and Don Mancini is the sole writer of the script. Alex Vincent returns to play Andy. Brad Dorif again voices Chucky. I mean, he will for every single film except for the reboot, so we don't even need to keep saying that. And you have new cast members, Christine Elise, who was also in Beverly Hills 90210. She's the teen bad girl, Kyle. And you may recognize Grace Zabriskie as the manager of the Foster Center. She played Laura Palmer's mother, in Twin Peaks and has really good upset face. She kills it with that. It was shot on the same lot as Back to the Future Part 3 and Alex Vincent was super psyched about that because he was a boy and he got to go have lunch with Michael J. Fox one day. That's pretty cool. Uh, It's interesting that Child's Play was being shot on the same set as Back to the Future 2 and 3 because Child's Play 2 and 3 came together at pretty much the same way that Back to the Future 2 and 3 did, where they were just like, no, 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 sequels faster. Have one after the other with like not even a year between them. That's how you make money. And in both cases, that was not the case. Uh, Child's Play 2 has a way better distinct visual style. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, Chucky basically comes back to life almost instantly and just starts murdering people left and right. 
Yeah, we don't we don't have to mess with any of the foreplay. We can just get right into the good kills. Also, I think the doll factory in general, that colorful doll factory is a bit iconic as well when it comes to the franchise. The doll factory scene is fucking amazing. Yeah, it it's is pretty sweet. Gruesome. It is horrifying. The all the little uh good guy boxes staring on is a great backdrop. Uh just the way Chucky is just continually just eviscerating and like degrading and bleeding and just mm-hmm. fucking getting more and more monstrous in every fucking like, And I think second. you nailed it. I think him, you know, shoving his deca- his, his cut off uh, wrist into the blade to give himself a knife hand and how gory that se- appears and looks. I think that in general is like such a troubling image to a child. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because who who does this franchise scare more than a kid, right? And and why? And I feel like every kid, it's someone like I think Lexi is still my wife is still frightened of Chucky. Like she can't look at the character; she has a hard time with it. I think that's all from childhood. I, Chucky specifically is again, like I said, if it's child sized, the your your way of death is so much more terrifying. It's just going to be so much more unpleasant. Uh, a fan actually uh, t- sent me a message on Twitter saying that in Mexico, Chucky has actually become kind of a urban legend. And parents will say, if you misbehave, <laughs> Chucky's going to come get you. I love it. It, it. It's also that sweet, cute little thing looking crazy and evil and saying, you fucking bitch, like cursing yeah. really perf- like profusely and just being really wild and mean. And, you know, yeah, it's just there's something about that that is so jarring and off-putting. I will say, whenever you do these nostalgia trips, there's always going to be some kind of problematic stuff. I'd already mentioned Ed Gale was not very happy with his connection to the franchise over time. Gale really hated Lafia. Lafia insulted him, referring to him as a midget in an interview at, uh, at some point, I think, in post-production, and claimed they credited him as Chucky's stunt double in order to pay less residuals. He felt he was very poorly treated by uh, the people involved. Mancini does uh, claim... They used him and others less and less, like less little people, to play the killer doll as time went on because it was expensive to build those larger sets, those 30% larger sets. Gale refused to do the third installment. He came back for Bride of Chucky because he said they begged him to come back to, to do it, but again was insulted when that word that I've said before was used in the actual film. John Waters actually utters it, and that is something actually Mancini claims responsibility for, and he deeply regrets because he is, I think, very against marginalization and things like that, as we'll get to in the Seed of Chucky epi- uh, uh, addition to the franchise. The word comes up a lot of times, especially because these mo- a these movies are dealing with a small sized killer, and this was a lot of them were made in an era where that like people weren't aware enough to even like know that that's not. The word to use. So sorry to hear that, Ed Gale. But either way, the film was released in November of 1990. It also does quite well in the box office, which solidified a relationship between David Kirshner, Don Mancini, and Universal for years to come. The next one is immediately going into production. And that's why Mancini had a very tight turnaround for the storyline. So I'm just, spoiler alert, Child's Play 3 sucks. It's fun to watch in a, and let's watch a bad horror movie kind of way. Like, I, you know, I ain't against it. I had some fun watching it. There's a couple of cool moments, especially when a, a big slice of Chucky's face yes. gets cut off. This is literally see... the whole point of the movie in my head. This is yeah. all I remember from, like, reruns on cable in the 90s when 
because they chase the the climax of the movie, trying to like one up from the factory fight is they Chucky ends up in a haunted house in a carnival and a grim reaper puppet slices his face off with a scythe. Keep it, which again, that means of course that this completely normal haunted house just has a <laughs> swinging razor sharp scythe in it. <laughs> I mean, it was the eighties, you know, theme parks were a lot more dangerous back then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it underperforms horribly. It's yeah. still the lowest uh, grossing child's play movie of all time. He Mancini has said it's his least favorite Chucky movie. He felt he had run out of ideas after the second film and he had no time. And I think after that, he realized like if he needs to take time off for the genre to change for him to get better ideas for the franchise, he would after this, he, he, there are large chunks of time between certain films, but either way, uh, it was filmed by Jack Bender who started out as an actor guest starring on shows like all in the family and the Bob Newhart show and ended up, a director of mostly television episodes, but really good television shows like Lost. He directed a couple episodes of the second season of Sopranos, arguably the best, one of the best seasons of television of all time, and Game of Thrones as well. Uh, but Child's Play 3 is one of the very few film credits of his. He has a sea of TV credits. Uh, Andy Barclay is replaced by Justin Whalen as an uh, older Andy, who is made to go to military school as the film is set eight years after the events of the second film, which is fucking weird when you think about it, because this movie came out like less than a year after the second mm -hmm. movie. So you have to do this weird time jump, even though a actual time has passed in the real world. It just all of it just felt it's like so bizarre. And, and it makes so little sense that <laughs> when Bride of Chucky came out in actual 1998, chronologically, the movie only takes place a month after the events of Child's Play 3. It's so, yeah, bizarre. I should also note that, um, I don't know when else I'll be able to insert this into the episode, but I find it hilarious. Uh, in other countries, uh, the title Child's Play, because it's not like a turn of phrase in many other languages, uh, in German, the films are known as Chucky de Mordorpuppe. <laughs> and in Italian... Child's Play is known as La Bambola Assassina. <laughs> <laughs> so this franchise is a bit dead for about seven years. And the, you know, horror kind of is dead for about seven years. And it isn't until a little known movie called Scream comes out that revitalizes the slasher crossover. horror just, genre. You can find it all. Just start scrolling. Just start scrolling. Yeah. Add it to the queue. Listen to yeah. them all. Yeah, at the end of the 90s, Scream comes out, it's self-referential, it's, it's got this, this comedy to it that, that brings a lot of people into the horror genre. And got sexy teens, got uh, mm -hmm. hilarious references. And, and, you know, another staple that I feel like goes into Bride of Chucky, which we're, we're getting into now, is it's got like a lot of of-the-time, like alternative rock music playing, as opposed to like weird suspense horror set score music. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Which which I noticed in Bride of Chucky. I mean, it starts with uh, Rob Zombie. Yeah, uh, Living Dead Girl in the, in the opening credits. It starts with Living Dead Girl, and uh, at some point they start playing um, some Power Man 5000, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, which, you know, if you didn't know this, Spider-1, the lead singer of Power Man 5000, is Rob Zombie's younger brother, so, and ah. this is the only project where the two... Uh, work together on a soundtrack. Interesting. Yeah. So 
Mancini writes the script and they hire this guy named Ronnie Yu to direct. Now, Yu is a Hong Kong film director who graduated from Ohio University and went on to direct a slew of movies in Hong Kong, mostly these big action thrillers. But it's his film The Bride with White Hair, which is what impressed Kirshner and Mancini to, to hire him to do Bride of Chucky. Uh, this is a wuxia film in terms of genre. That is to say it is a martial arts movie set in ancient China. It's sort of a Romeo and Juliet story, and it's about two lovers on opposing sides of a war who end up getting together and betraying each other, getting together again. You also, by the way, goes on to direct one of my favorites in the horror genre, slasher horror genre, Freddy versus Jason. I love that movie. But we're not here to talk about the movie. We're going to talk about Bride Chucky, which I also love. I will say... Bride of Chucky with Ronnie Yu uh, and his director of photography, Peter Pow. Yes. This movie looks nothing else like anything in the franchise. So different. The uh, really cool kind of bluish color palette. The, an insane dedication, like an almost Edgar Wright level of dedication to like camera movement and action shots where like mm -hmm. every little mechanical aspect of what's happening is covered in like real great detail. So you're never like kind of lost as to the, you know, cause there's a lot of things happening. There's like all these small spaces and all these different like objects you have to keep track of, including John Ritter's uh, nailed dead body. Uh, and the, the filmmakers do an amazing job of just keeping everything moving, everything compelling and everything readable. It's actually, it's kind of, it's, it's very weird from a cinematography standpoint to watch knowing that it's Bride of Chucky. Ma Mancini said, my favorite memory is Ronnie Yu remarking, it's like a commercial for murder with incredible glee <laughs> during that opening scene, which I absolutely love. They, they really did make this passionately. And it is so fun and so funny. And, um, of course, largely inspired by Bride of Frankenstein. If you see the movie, Bride of Frankenstein really is, is in the movie even. The, the old black and white film. Uh, Mancini used Chucky's love interest, Tiffany, as a way to get to know Chucky better. He, by the way, Chucky likes Swedish meatballs, like that, those little Weird. things. And they wanted to humanize the character more, which is very bizarre. Mancini said, when I came up with Tiffany, I was aware she needed to be Chucky's opposite. A bulk of the scenes would be about their relationship. So to give them conflict and tension, Tiffany had to express a different agenda and perspective on life. Jennifer Tilly, of course, plays Tiffany, uh, known for her distinctive voice and sultry style. I love Jennifer Tilly so much. Tilly went to Stevens College in Missouri for theater and then got some guest appearances on TV like uh, Hill Street Blues, Cheers, as well as a role in a movie I grew up loving, which I've mentioned before on this uh, podcast. Let it ride alongside Richard Drivers. I love her in this movie. This is probably what I fell in love with Jennifer Tilly. She's so funny in this movie. But her breakthrough was as a singing waitress in The Fabulous Baker Boys, which led to several other film roles. Mancini said, David Kirshner and I were excited about flipping the franchise full bore into comedy. Fellow franchises like Halloween or Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street never veered into a stylized farcical realm to the extent that we did with Bride of Chucky. And I absolutely agree. I think Bride of Chucky is such a smart move for them. And again, when we talked earlier about how you can track the evolution of the genre of horror through this series from the late 80s up to now. This is another big, big uh, signal of where horror was at that time. Self-referential, going into all the, hitting all these notes, being less concerned about actually being straight up a horror movie. It was really a love letter to fans of the franchise and horror. The opening scene has that like evidence locker where you can see like, 
the crate from Puppet Master, uh-huh. the mask, you know, uh, Jason's mask, Freddy's claws, uh, even the Leatherface's chainsaw. Uh, there was this one gag where, like, uh, Chucky's about to pretty much get his first kill of the movie, or second kill, I guess. And he picks up a ball-peen hammer, and Tiffany's like, nah, that's too typical. And, like, <laughs> if it wasn't for the fact that I had just watched the first Child's Play movie, yeah. I wouldn't have remembered that the first kill that Chucky ever has on screen is when he throws a ball-peen hammer at the babysitter's head. And, and she, she then leaps out of the window for no reason. <laughs> I mean, they want it to be, <laughs> in Child's Play 1, they want it to be that the strike of the hammer made her trip over the window, but the actual stunt was a woman takes a flying Greg Lucanus <laughs> dive out a window. <laughs> Justin and so good. Thousands of spring deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save big today on new arrivals from Kate Spade, New York, Nike, Sam Edelman, Free People, and Madewell, starting at only $30. Great brands and great prices on dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and more. So rack your look and get first dibs on spring styles you want now from just $30 at your Nordstrom Rack Store. What will you find? Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is also the first time where Mancini puts his own uh, connection to the LGBTQ community into the film. It introduces a major queer character with David, who is like the best friend, played by Gordon Michael Wolvitt. It's a little stereotypical, but but it's not played too ridiculously over the top. He's a very humane stereotype. It's a very loving... St- There's jokes about how he like is on a figure skating scholarship in college, <laughs> but... <laughs> But Mancini himself is gay, and uh, he said it felt good to do something innovative with the genre, as it was pretty unusual at that point for in slasher movies to have a major gay character. The film itself had a gay sensibility, and that was new for the franchise. Holden, did you know that Julia Stiles was originally uh, cast as the part of Jade, but then dropped out to star in 10 Things I Hate About You? Oh, oh, she would have been good. Thus uh, getting a then-unknown Catherine Heigl. Catherine Heigl. Yeah. Absolutely. That's, I did not know that, actually, but she would have also been a good fit, most likely. Catherine Heigl, though, totally, totally fine. It's just such a weird, funny story. And that Tiffany doll is so great and is so funny with Jennifer Tilly's voice. The, the relationship between Chucky and Tiffany is so fantastic and so hilarious and just opens up new ground to make fun of just the whole situation here with this killer doll trope. Tilly recorded her dialogue uh, with Brad Dorff in the studio so they could actually play off of each other and do some improvising. So a lot of the like most killer lines were actually kind of done on the spot with the energy in the room, Hell such yeah. as my favorite during the very graphic puppet sex scene where Jennifer or I'm sorry, Tiffany says, uh, wait, do you have a rubber? And Chucky replies, baby, look at me. I am rubber. <laughs> I am rubber. I love it. Also has my favorite kill in the whole series when the gay dude uh, just straight up explodes when a truck hits him. Which that is one's not it's... even Chucky. That's just the cruelty <laughs> of, of life. <laughs> it was so good. This is also in this movie. They make Chucky a very clear anti-hero 
because they go out of their way to like make sure that up until at least until the end, everybody he attacks had it coming from the shitty uh, uh-huh. cop dad to the even shittier cop to the uh, weird thieving couple at the love resort. Everybody gets like marked as an acceptable kill before <laughs> Chucky goes. Yes, hey. yes. It's so hilarious. And just just. The intensity of the character is so funny when he's dealing with like relationship shit. He's just like, you can't leave me. We've got to work this out, baby. You know what I mean? It's just so something about that is just so funny to see him like deal with a girlfriend. You know, I just I just absolutely love it. It really does some like the quippiness is definitely like he had an attitude in the first movies, but he has like one-liners there's like way more physical comedy with this one i think another important thing that was introduced in this movie was the look of the stitched up chucky face which Mm. really i think is the most iconic version of chucky that you see now way more than the kind of no stitches cleaned up version this this really brought that chucky to the fray and it would remain that way up until the remake uh, they brought the puppet out to do guest spots on Saturday Night Live. There's like a whole fucking bit with him and Colin Quinn during Weekend Update. Also like he WWE, sh- right? No, WCW, which oh, was God. at that time doing better in the ratings than uh-huh. uh, the WWE. I guess it was WWF back then. Yeah, it was And WWF. yeah, Chucky calls out uh, either one of the Steiner brothers. I forget which one. But like it really cemented Chucky as a pop culture antihero. He's, sure. you know... The Chucky is pretty much up there with like Deadpool and the Joker in terms of, especially sure. with the addition of Tiffany. Like there is so many uh, sad goth girls with like Chucky and Tiffany tattoos out there that they got uh, in. Yeah, for sure. I mean, to the point too, where he even Spielberg himself uh, ends up uh, directing Chucky in uh, Ready Player One, the the movie version. Like that's how that's how much it became such a pop culture icon bride of chucky made uh, about a million dollars less in the domestic gross than the original child's play but it, with international sale uh and dvd sales like it is the most profitable entry in the series at the, it's it's a high point so that was 1998 jump to 2004 then we get seed of chucky this is don mancini's directorial debut six the, years by the way that is years. a six-year gap yeah. Which is pr- as long as uh, functionally as long as the gap between Child's Play 3 and Bride of Chucky, which as a kid felt like forever. The cast is so amazing. Jennifer Tilly, Redman, John Waters. Jennifer Tilly both is the voice of Tiffany, but also herself. This is even more meta than than the last one. She's like a character in the film doing like a, a her, playing herself as the Hollywood actress. It plays a lot on, uh, the, you know, the Hollywood system and like sleeping away at the top. It plays on uh, g- gender issues. I think that's the biggest thing. Production began actually back in 1998. Mancini, who is openly gay, wanted to explore more LGBT related themes. He writes a screenplay based on Glenn or Glinda directed by Ed Wood, which is this like, Terrible, but now like beloved cult classic that in which Ed Wood 
essentially made a docudrama about cross-dressing and transsexuality, which was Wood's plea for tolerance as he was a cross-dresser himself. So Mancini has Chucky's son being an innocent person suffering from gender dysphoria, who is also a British for some reason. No, there's a very specific reason. Uh, This movie took a very long time to get funding for. And I think what finally got it made in 2004 is the fact that it was uh, shot in Romania and post-production done in the UK, two countries that, especially in the 2000s, had massive tax kickbacks for making movies there. And I pr- I'm pretty much guarantee that's why uh, Glenn slash Glenda, the, the titular seed of Chucky, is British in this movie, played by Billy Boyd, Billy Boyd. Uh, best known as Pippin in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. A hundred percent. And he is amazing in this movie. Guys, y'all, seriously? A I know everybody. And Moppet. I know everybody talks about one and two and Bride of Chucky. Seed of Chucky is something to behold. It is fucking crazy. I can't even go into how crazy this movie is. Redman is so funny in this fucking movie. Jennifer Tilly is just, this is like her best work in the franchise. She just absolutely kills it. This whole bizarre Glenn and Glinda subplot is so fucking weird and so fun and so just the whole thing is just hilarious it's barely horror it's only it's 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 like it's like a gore comedy i would almost say over even being a horror movie like there are tons of kills but none of them are scary it is all hilarious when john waters gets his whole ass head dunked in sulfuric acid that's pretty great you're also just watching a lot of entire scenes between three puppets (laughs) and you're just like what is happening anymore like this is not even like it is chucky but it's just like what in the fucking world and chucky needs the the kid to be a boy and uh and you know of course you've got tiffany being accepting of uh, the kids wish to to gender bend essentially, and what that culminates to is incredible. Just definitely watch Seed of Chucky. I I can't recommend it enough. It is just if nothing else, you will be incredibly entertained for an hour and a half. It was also Don Mancini's uh, first time directing the franchise, mm. and so I I don't know. I didn't see it, but I listened to a nerd's essay on YouTube, and uh, he insisted that visually. It proved that Mancini could uh, helm the series, even though the comedic mm-hmm. tone was unpopular with longtime fans. But the kills and the special effects and the shots are sound. So even if even if the t- the tone wasn't what a lot of horror fans, it definitely turned off a lot of big fans of the series. They felt it went too far into the category of comedy, which it definitely does. But I, I don't think it, it it could ever go far enough because I just love the shit out of that. Like I love when horror goes that deep into comedy in the realm of comedy, like evil dead two or something like that. But, but either way, he definitely proves that he can be the director on these films. And, and, you know, I think he does a great job in this movie. And uh, so also Universal, hoping for another by-the-book slasher film, felt the script was, quote, too gay and rejected it. So the film ended up staying in limbo until the project was approved by Focus Features and ends up, like you said, going to Romania and all that stuff. The effects were done by Tony Gardner and his effects company, Alterian Inc. Gardner has done effects for films such as Zombieland, The Addams Family, and 127 Hours. And they're great effects. I mean, there's a lot of animatronics and puppet work going on in this movie uh, obviously with three characters that are all that are all murderous puppets 
The film does not do as well as the previous one, but Mancini remains very proud of his work on this one. And I do too, Mancini. You killed it. And that's what brings us to Curse and Cult. The, uh, the follow-ups, essentially a soft reboot in a lot of ways, even though it does maintain the continuity of the of the whole series, which is so weird that, that Seed of Chucky and Curse of Chucky exist in the same world, even is bizarre, much less the same continuity. From what I'm told, uh, the big reveal that like, it starts out and you're like, okay, this is a reboot, this is a reimagining, and then they do like a big like bomb drop when it's like, no fucker, this was canon the whole time. Yeah, yeah, it has. I mean, I guess if we don't want to ruin it, I will just say that, yes, it definitely does that by the end. And these are, by the way, direct-to-video uh, entries in the franchise, both Curse and Cult of Chucky. And Mancini wrote and directed them both. And you've got Alex Vincent, Brad Dorif, and Jennifer Tilly returning with Brad's daughter, Fiona Dorif, taking on the lead role for these movies. She's which amazing. Really cool. She's great. Yeah. She's, it, I had to, I found out after the fact that she was Brad Dorif's daughter. She kind of looks like him once you know that fact, yeah. but she kills it, right? I mean, I was like, who's this discount Natasha Leone the whole time? And then, <laughs> then I was like, oh, goddamn. So Curse, I would say, if, if nothing else, it suffers from maybe being a bit boring. But in terms of, again, reflecting the trends of the time, it is spot on. It has that grimy, grungy look. It's very self-serious. It's very, you know, it's very like it almost has that like Ringu kind of visual style a little bit. But either way, it, it's, it's a competent film. Well shot. Very well acted. Really well acted. And, you know, Chucky's still there in full force. And, and I love that all of he, he's so good to his actors. He's always bringing them back and he's very, very committed to them. And I think that is what makes this a very special uh, series in the horror genre. Uh, Jake, you saw Colt. So if you want to speak towards it, speak towards it now before we move on. So Cult of Chucky, I feel like is until I see Seed of Chucky, which, you know, still uh, skeptical is as close to as satisfying a Chucky experience as you can possibly get. This one takes place as a direct sequel to Curse of Chucky, where Nika, Fiona's character, uh, is institutionalized after the events of Curse of Chucky. And pretty much the entire action takes place within the walls of this insane asylum. And it creates kind of a new twist on what I feel is like the core phobia of the original Chucky series, which is you're a powerless kid. Terrible things are happening. People are blaming you. And like sitting there in the room, lifeless is the cause of your terror. And mm -hmm. you're just powerless to do anything about it. And so Nika is not only in a wheelchair, but also, uh, you know, she's committed. And just uh, the scenery itself, this, uh, this insane asylum has a very like stylish uh, set dressing to it. it do, it's not an actual medical facility. It looks more like something out of iRobot than anything else. <laughs> very sleek, very futuristic. But it gives the movie a very distinct visual uh, sense to the point where kind of like how Bride of Chucky had its own visual sense, so you immediately know which movie it is. Uh, Child's Play 2 had its own unique color palette and like sensibility, and Cult of Chucky definitely falls into it. Uh, they start playing more with Chucky's innate voodoo powers, which, again, another big thing is like, oh, hey, you know, hey, Chucky, he's a little doll that kills people. Also, he has uh, near omnipotent voodoo powers, but we don't get into that. Like, no, <laughs> talk about his voodoo powers. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, really creative kills, 
really engaging set of characters who all have their own psychoses and like kind of yeah, unique which kind mental of issues. Me, one of my favorites is uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors. And it kind of gives me Dream Warriors vibes a little bit where you have this great cast of dynamic cast of characters. They're all dealing with this horror situation with this monster uh, also, did you mention the multiple Chuckies? Uh, because that I was, was going to get to that. So yeah, yeah. there are multiple. So one of the things Chucky can now do is create copy Chuckies as long as apparent, uh, he can copy his brain into uh, people using the Dumbala chant, like the body transfer, or he can transfer it into dolls. And it's used to great effect to the point where you don't know like if someone's being possessed or not. And that's a really good source of tension. And Chucky himself is great because he's quippy. He's got that snarky attitude, but it's not a comedy. His like his mockery is almost just cruel. It's just like reinforcing the powerlessness that this little fucker is just killing people and like nothing can be done to stop him. It's like it's a very good balance. I if you're yearning for a Chucky hit, if you want that child's play movie experience, Cult of Chucky really delivers on so many counts and there's so much canon, like, fan service. Tons of fan service in this movie that, like, I just really, truly enjoyed it. It's on Netflix. Watch the fuck out of this. Also, um, the that idea of multiple Chuckies he came up with when he was trying to write Child's Play 3 but ran out of time and money to make it happen in that script. So he finally was able to do it decades later uh, with, with Cult of Chucky. All right, let's talk about this remake, uh, this reviled, controversial so, remake. Remember that weird foofaroo with the uh, the rights getting handed off to Universal because United Artists MGM was like in the shitter? Yeah. So out of a weird legal loophole, the company that, after passing through many hands, still became you know remained United Artists, actually still had the rights to remake the original Child's Play. They that was like just after combing through all the weird intellectual property spider webs, someone figured out that, oh, we can legally do this. And obviously, one of the first things they did was reach out to Kirshner and Mancini to get their blessing for this. But they were the ones who had the rights to make this. And why would they do that? Why would they just yield control to this other entity? Yeah, they were just pissed off because they were like, we just made two really successful, albeit direct-to-video, but really successful Chucky entries, and now you want us to back off? Like, I feel like, you know, I feel like at that point they felt like we've not only proved that we could do this in different genre forms or subgenre forms, but we also returned to the basics and knocked it out of the park. And you want us to be like, you know, they wanted them to be involved in like a limited capacity, and they were just like, no, like, absolutely not. This movie's so, so different. But what Metro-Golden-Mare had was uh, a production team of Seth Graham Smith and David Katzenberg, famously Jeffrey Katzenberg's son. Mm. And they had just made fucking bank with their, I guess you could call them remakes of It. Yes. So they could have made anything they wanted. And obviously, if they took an 80s horror icon like It and made $300 million, you got to do it with Child's Play. For sure, and I, I totally get the impulse to do that, but it's now that I know the lineage and know the history, I also kind of felt off-put just even going into this remake because it's like, man, this really is Mancini and Kirshner's thing, and for anyone else to come in and mess with it, 
it would they would really need to do a stellar job. I don't think they really do a stellar job. I think they do a, a adequate job of of remaking the property. There's definitely uh, high points. There are things I enjoyed about it. And of course, it's amazing. Like they got Mark Hamill to do the voice of Chucky, but at the same time, I ju- it just has it can't. It's got to be the guy. It's got to be the guy whose name I can never remember. It's like it's like ha- Brad making Dorf. the. It's like making not even, but even Chucky as the voice. Chucky as a character is completely different. He's like this, yes, uh, kind of uh, sorcerer's apprentice style, like wayward AI that's like just malfunctioning. Yeah, yeah. They completely throw away the voodoo thing, which I'm not necessarily upset about. I think that is the dumbest thing about Child's Play, but they replace it with just a dude in a factory just for this one doll as like a fuck you to his boss turning off all of the like safety measures inherent in the doll. And the doll's like an Alexa. Chucky is an Alexa that will, you know, help you run the house. He can, and they play on that a lot. I feel like they could have done more interesting stuff with that, but they play on that a lot. That, you know, this idea of this new technology that can control everything. It was more like a, a sci-fi trope of like the the robot becoming menacing you know it's totally different no they go into asimov type shit where like the robot can't hurt people or do weird shit and but then you have to buy the reality that this like slick ass like you know amazon apple company would have their landmark hub be this fucking creepy ginger doll yeah it's very weird i will say audrey plaza i think is fantastic in it She's she's a solid scream queen, uh, and I, you know the acting's solid. There's some. I also decent don't like kills. that the kids like kind of an older malcontent than like an innocent mm-hmm. five year old. Yeah, there was a lot about it. I just it did not vibe with me. Yeah, just Mark Hamill. I was hoping for the. I need my Chucky unhinged and crazy. I I really appreciate the serial killer in the doll thing, and they removed that, and it's more like Mark Hamill's uh, Chucky wants to love the boy to death essentially by and and so anyone it's kind of actually more similar to mancini's original concept though in a way because like chucky is like a tool of the child against Mm -hmm. the child's will so if the kid is like if, if someone's upsetting the kid he will to try to get the kid to love him more go and take care of that problem and so that is interesting but i just don't think it was executed like all that great or really brought any much Super new. And just the look of the doll itself is just so weirdly different from the original Chucky. It just didn't really scare me. It didn't really, like, just didn't really do a lot for me, I think, just in general. Also, technology rules. Drones rule. Phones rule. Homes, yeah. uh, Wi-Fi routers rule. The fact that I can yell at my TV and I can be like, show me Jennifer Tilly movies from 1997 to 2003 and it'll do it. Yeah. It rules. I'm not scared of it. <laughs> uh, it is also, by the way, written by Tyler Burton Smith, whose credits are weirdly enough, video, the video games Sleeping Dogs and Quantum Break. Uh, which is weird because we're actually going to be doing Alan Wake soon, and that's from that same studio. Also, it's directed by Lars Klevberg, whose other major credit is a horror movie called Polaroid about a spooky Polaroid camera. It, upon the trailer's release, Mancini tweeted out a picture of Mariah Carey holding a sign that reads, I don't know her, which is this famous Mariah Carey diss, and he's trying to kind of throw the same shade at this Jennifer movie. Tilly joins mm-hmm. in, just shitting on it. Like, she posted yeah. a picture of her holding her Tiffany doll and wrote, new Chucky movie? Um, no, Tiffany and I are going to sit this one out. Hashtag not my Chucky. 
Ooh. And I saw it, and I would say, yeah, it just doesn't do enough for me to be like, yeah, great. I'm so glad that they totally just brushed off like the thirty two, years of yeah, like the two major creative creatives behind all of the other movies and all of those actors that are such mainstays now with Tilly and and um all, everybody, yeah, Brad. And so it's just, yeah, I agree now. I, I also I, also Holden. Mark Hamill is like, he's trying to do like this innocent doll voice, but it still sounds like a weird 70 year old man doing a little boy voice. So it's still freaky. I was hoping like uh, thinking of him doing it, I assumed it was going to be more like Joker level unhinged and it just is never really that. So I don't even know. He's like, he feels underused as well. It's just a weird thing. You know what? You nailed it. If they had just let Mark Hamill do a killer creepy voice. It probably would have been amazing because yeah. that that's like a universally beloved take yeah, that, the, of Mark Hamill's Joker baggage. They'd have to it'd have to be some version of the serial killer thing, though, because they, their their entry point is that he's actually like a normal doll that's just malfunctioning. No, he's Internet connected. He can just go on 4chan one day True. and come out fucked up. Because even the curse. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought was going to happen. He was going to connect to the cloud and like connect to like the dark web or something. <laughs> that would have been a much more interesting take. As opposed to it's like the kids teach him how to curse. And because he doesn't have any security protocols turned on inside of him, he will repeat the curse words. And that's how he starts doing it. I don't know. It's whatever. Either way, there is a TV show in the works, which I feel weird about, to be honest with you. I don't know how well this would do it in the format of a TV show. But I think if they make it like Ash versus Evil Dead, I think if they mm-hmm. bring that comedy into the horror action, it would actually might work pretty decently. In February of 2018, the Child's Play TV series was announced, which would be from Don Mancini and production and producer David Kirshner, and would continue from where the original series left off. It is a 10 or possibly 8, it seemed, I couldn't tell based on different sources, uh, it is, uh, but either way, a 10 or 8 part series to be released in 2021. The first episode is written and directed by Mancini. And here is the synopsis of that. In the series titled Chucky, after a vintage Chucky doll turns up at a suburban yard sale, an idyllic American town is thrown into chaos as a series of horrifying murders begin to expose the town's hypocrisies and secrets. Meanwhile, the arrival of enemies and allies from Chucky's past threatens to expose the truth behind the killings, as well as the demon doll's untold origins as a seemingly ordinary child who somehow became this notorious monster. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're telling me there's going to be a high-budget television series that talks about how Beneath the surface veneer of an idyllic suburban life, there's a darkness? Yeah. Whoa. (laughs) Well, either way, at least it's from Mancini and Kirshner, and they'll probably get all the old hitters to come back and do the voices and play the parts. Brad Dorff's getting pretty up there. He's like in his 70s at this point. By uh, Cult of Chucky, that voice is getting a little ragged. Yeah. It's like uh, listening to Marge Simpson now. You kind of (laughs) get sad. Well, there you have it. I think that's all I've got, Jake, uh, on our episode about the Child's Play franchise. This is super fun. Did I mention that in German it's called Chucky die Mörderpuppe? Mm, yes, indeed. And you tweeted it and uh, posted it, I believe, on the Facebook page. People need to know. People <laughs> need to know. Thank you so much for joining us today, guys. If you'd like to support us further, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. I believe that's the, yeah, that's it. Patreon.com forward slash whizbrew for just $5 a month. 
you get weekly bonus episodes for $15. You can join our Sunday study sessions where we hang out. This last time we watched Child's Play, and I even did a pop-up one the other day where we watched uh, Bride of Chucky as well. It was super fun. Either way, uh, that is that and my Twitch stream, twitch.tv forward slash holdnatorsho. I am always streaming, and you guys pop in and say hello and tell me that you enjoy the show, and it makes my day better, so I thank you for that. And uh, yeah, that's all I got. Jake! For just $5 a month, you can support two podcasters and get hundreds of bonus episodes just waiting for your eager ears. Do something nice for your ears. Do something nice for two middle-aged comedians. Patreon.com slash whizbrew. Follow me on Twitter at bestjakeyoung and hear all my thoughts. <laughs> all right. And always remember, never, never stop bruising. <laughs> More Swedish meatballs, sweetie. <laughs> yeah. And keep on bruising and whizzing. <laughs> Very smooth, Jake. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Hop, hop, hooray. Nordstrom Rack's got sweet deals on everything Easter, which is Sunday, March 31st. Get to Nordstrom Rack now and save on Kate Spade, New York, Two-Faced, Steve Madden, Calvin Klein, and more from just $30. Score great brands and great prices on Easter looks for everyone, plus spring decor, gifts, and all kinds of deliciousness. Rack up the deals today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.